0: All right, please turn with me to Luke chapter 12. I think the what if questions often paralyze us the most, don't you? What if we don't have enough money to pay the mortgage? What if our child gets sick? What if we get cancer? What if we lose our job? What if our marriage falls apart? These questions bob up and down in our hearts like a buoy in the ocean surf, constantly resurfacing amidst the waves and reminding us we should be anxious. We should be worried. What if things don't go the way we wish them to? What if things get worse? What if? What if? What if? And I think when we look at our lives and we consider the unknowns of our futures, it seems pretty reasonable, pretty common sense to be anxious. After all, all it takes is one virus or one stock market crash or one diagnosis, or one broken relationship, and our dreams can come crashing down around our heads. And so when it comes to anxiety, our question is usually not, why should I be anxious? But instead, why shouldn't I be In Luke's gospel this morning, we see Jesus teach his disciples about how to confront the anxieties that will assail them concerning their everyday needs. He looks at the most basic of needs food, clothing, and he gives his disciples reasons not to be anxious. And so, for the anxious souls among us this morning, which to one extent or another is all of us, we would do well to pay close attention to the wonderful words of our precious Savior. Because if we believe Jesus's words here and obey them, our lives will look like the photo negative of the world around us. We will look so different in our peace and rest that it will become obvious our hope is not in the fleeting successes or pleasures or riches of this life, but in the one who holds the entire universe together and calls us his own. So follow along as I read Luke 12. Starting in verse 22. And Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Okay, well, to guide our study today, let's see from this text three reasons why we should obey Jesus here. And not be anxious. First, do not be anxious because God takes care of birds. Do not be anxious because God takes care of birds. Look at verse 22. Jesus says to his disciples, therefore, I tell you. I love how he keeps saying, I tell you. It's like, believe me. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. You see, he's first seeking to reorient their perspective. He says they must stop this merry-go-round of constant anxiety because life is more than food and clothing. In his commentary on Luke, James Edwards describes the word anxiety that Jesus is speaking of here. He says, this does not refer to forethought and planning about such things, food, shelter, provision, the needs of our lives, but rather to undue concern about them, which results in apprehensiveness and anxiety. And that's helpful because Jesus is not talking about healthy concern or responsibility. He's talking about fear-driven, control-driven anxiety. And he urges his followers not to go that route. Because he assures them God cares for them in their most basic daily needs. And to make that point, he turns all of us in this passage to nature, to creation. Look at verse 24. He says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Jesus encourages us here in Luke to literally start thinking about birds, okay? See, as Christians, there's something really good and really necessary to stopping and smelling the roses, isn't there? Because as we do, we're reminded the world is not spinning right now because we're working or we're stressed, or we're in charge. Creation reminds us God is intimately involved in our world, and he's the one who's holding it all together. I don't know about you, but when I get anxious, which is quite often, I distract myself either with entertainment or work. But Jesus says, just stop and look at some birds. Why? Why? Because they don't do the hard work of harvesting and stocking up groceries, and yet they don't go hungry. God provides what they need. In a way, if you were here last week when we thought about the rich fool in the preceding passage, these birds are the exact opposite of that rich fool. The rich fool harvested and stocked up and then took security in his earthly treasure. And remember, God cut his life short and showed him he was a fool for thinking his earthly wealth could secure his future peace. But these birds, on the other hand, they don't harvest. They don't stockpile. But they find their security in a creation system that provides what they need and is supervised by a loving, providing creator. Now, of course, this isn't an argument for laziness. God provides, but we don't just pray and wait. As one author puts it, the birds are not always worrying that the supply of worms may run out. Yet, they do not expect the worms to just crawl down their beaks. right? They go out, they fly, they peck, they hunt. They poop on your things. But They're not taken up with ongoing fretfulness about their needs. God the Creator will provide. And so Jesus' point is clear at the end of verse 24. Of how much more value are you than the birds? If God does that for them, what do you think he's going to do for you? He says some of the same things ahead in verse 27. Look there. This time it's flowers. He says, look, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. A few weeks ago, we saw how the queen of Sheba was blown away by the wisdom and riches of Solomon. And yet here, Jesus says, the flowers you see outside are even more glorious than he was. There in verse 28, he tells us simply to look at the grass, the stuff you mowed this past week. If God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Nobody takes grass and puts some, like, powder in a vase and puts grass in their kitchen to v- invite visitors. We do that with lilies. But Jesus is pushing his point a little bit further. He's saying even grass God takes care of. Throughout the Old Testament, grass is often used to convey fleetingness and temporariness. Just think of the famous passage from Isaiah 40 that Aaron Kay always recites after he reads, pray- uh, reads a scripture for us. The grass withers. The flower fades. Grass is this thing we have plenty of. And so we can use it, we can dry it, and we can use it to fuel an oven, like Jesus says. Grass is of no great value, no great importance, and yet God clothes the grass. He provides what grass needs to grow. And if He does that for grass, won't He take care of the daily needs of His people? So in verse 29, Jesus says, Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. That word worried in the Greek has the idea of getting all worked up. Jesus says in verse 30 that those who do not know God worry about these things. But for us, his people, we are to be assured that he is our Father and he knows we need them. He knows. And what's more, God is not merely a benevolent deity who may stoop to sprinkle some nice feelings on his world like pixie dust if he wants to. No, Jesus says he is our Father. He not only knows our need, he loves us. He's going to take care of us. Just look at the birds. Now, Jesus doesn't mock concern for everyday needs. He does not downplay your needs. He simply tells you to look at the one who knows everything, and who will provide what you need. So Christians combat anxiety by looking to the provider. Because anxiety will try to convince us he is ignorant of our needs, and even if he knew about them, he would be too busy, too preoccupied, or too weak to provide them. But trust rejects those things as lies and finds rest in God alone. Don't you love how Jesus says, Go look at the birds and flowers? I mean, isn't that so practical? It's something we can all do. But is it something we all do? When was the last time you sat and contemplated God's care for the world around you? From the minuscule atom to the delicate leaf to the flighty bird to the winds blowing over the Blue Ridge to the different ecosystems that sustain animals and plants in our backyards, to the clouds above that pour down rain, to the outer atmosphere, to Earth's moon, to the farthest planets of our solar system, to the galaxies beyond our telescopes, to infinity and beyond. He sustains. He provides. How much more his people whom he has sent his son to redeem. Andrew Wilson is a pastor in London, and he has written a book about God and the mundane. And he, he said in a recent interview, my level of anxiety tends to be higher when I spend a lot of time with screens or money, and a lot lower when I spend a lot of time with trees and children. He says we can often fall into a self-centered, we can do this, we run this type of mode when we deal with our screens and our finances. He says we literally call ourselves content creators, content creators. Right? And of course we're creators. We're made in the image of God. But when we take that too far, we believe we can create everything we need and want. And so he says, when you back up and you look at the givenness and the created things like trees and children crafted together by tender hands of a mighty God, you're reminded of the bigger picture. Church, again, if we obey Jesus's words here, we will look different than what he calls the nations of the world, so I wonder Christian, do you look different in this? I asked myself the same question. And oftentimes the answer is no. But it'd be good for us to answer this question for ourselves and help each other think through it. Do you look different from your neighbors or your coworkers when it comes to anxiety? Are you more at peace than them even during when your anxiety is high? Even during this insane time in history? Or are you just as stressed and rattle as they are? Take a break. Look at a bird. God will take care of you. Second reason, do not be anxious because anxiety is futility. Anxiety is futility. Look at verse 25. This is, I think, my favorite part of this passage because it seems a little sarcastic. Jesus says there, maybe it's not, but that's how I read it. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do such a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Jesus is saying your anxiety is super unproductive. It just doesn't work. Not one bit. The only productivity it has is to make you miserable. He says anxiety is futility. He speaks there of this insane idea of worrying so much. We can worry into existence into existence an extra hour in our lives. Some translations you have might actually take that a little bit differently and actually talk about adding a cubit to your height. Those words could, it's a little ambiguous, those words could kind of go both ways. Is Jesus using a figure speech? We don't know. But both, both ideas are ridiculous. Both ideas are out of our control and our anxiety can do nothing to change them. Jesus is saying anxiety gets nothing done. Why? Why is it so futile? Because we're not in control. Anxiety pretends we control things that we can't. Jesus says our our being anxious can't even control when we live or when we die. We are not in control. And you know what's funny? I think it's often that very truth that drives us to anxiety in the first place. You're not in control. Ah, ah, ah what? My gosh, we need to, I need to grasp any semblance of a control in order I can. It's futility. We are not in control. God is. And so I wonder, brothers and sisters, as Christians, learning from King Jesus, if we might actually turn the tables on that, on that truth that we're not in control. If that truth is what can cause us anxiety in the first place, what if we just flip the tables a little bit and use that truth to give us peace? You're not in control. I wonder if we might take this truth and actually use it to find rest, not stress. I wonder if we can take this truth that we aren't in control and instead of going into a tizzy, retreat into rest. I don't know. Try it out. But I think this idea of control can give us a super helpful insight into our hearts. Sinful anxiety masquerades as control. When we're anxious, we try to imagine into existence what we want and imagine out of existence what we fear. And so we try to dot every eye, fasten every bolt, lock every door, take every vitamin so we can make sure our future is secure. And in this way, Anxiety is not only control, anxiety is idolatry. Because it tries to take God's place in determining our futures. Determining the unknown. No wonder it's futile. We can't do that. We aren't God. Every next second, what time is it right now? I don't have it right now. Uh, 11.54. 11.55, unknown. Don't know what's going to happen at 11.55. So what are we trying to accomplish by being anxious? I think what we're trying to accomplish is to find rest in ourselves, not God. Now, some of you have experienced forms of anxiety that have been diagnosed and treated. And so I want to make clear I'm not downplaying clinical anxiety or depression or even medication. We can talk about those things. If you know me, you know I'm not against those things. Far from it. Many faithful Christians are plagued by these things. Just go read Spurgeon's Sorrows, a book about Charles Spurgeon and his struggle with these things. But that still doesn't change the fact that regardless of your situation, regardless of what your anxiety looks like in your life, Jesus's words can hit home for you. Because the very reason we have things like anxiety in our lives is because we live in a world corrupted by sin. Sin, at its nature, disbelieves God. It sets up ourselves as gods of our own little kingdoms and rejects God's rule. And so if that's the problem behind all anxiety, well, then the answer to our anxiety ultimately is Jesus, is the one who is in control. So no matter where you struggle in this area, Luke 12 has help for you. When you feel out of control, it's often because you are. And you must find your security in the one who is. I think we can often tell each other, you know, I just hate my anxiety. I hate being anxious. But I don't know if that's true. I think we find comfort in anxiety. Because it gives us a feeling of temporary control. And so I think we must repent. And place our trust not in ourselves, but in God our Father. We read verse 28 earlier, but I left out the final words. Did you notice that? Look at verse 28. How much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith. Anxiety is lack of faith. Anxiety says God doesn't have control here, nor does he care for me in this situation. But faith looks to God and trusts his promises. It doesn't diminish the pain and trials we will face, including assaults of anxiety. But it will put them in proper context. So, Christian, how can you combat your anxiety? Increase your faith. And how can you increase your faith? Ask God for more of it. It's really that simple. Ask God for more faith and then set your gaze on Him until He gives it to you. Anxiety will keep pushing your head down to stare at your navel. Faith will keep lifting up your head to stare at your Savior. Anxiety will keep pushing your head down to stare at your navel. Faith will keep lifting up your head to stare at your Savior. So seek increased faith. Talk about your struggles with others so they can speak into your life. When temptations to anxiety come up about food and clothing and the future and and retirement and jobs and school and health, make plans, be concerned, pursue doctors, do the right and responsible things for the things God has given you to steward, but don't play God. That's a futile task. There is only one God, and he ain't you. He is completely sovereign. It is his control over our lives, not ours, that will give peace. R.C. Sproul once famously wrote, If we have one maverick molecule running loose out there, we have no assurance whatsoever that that single molecule may not be the grain of sand in the machinery of God's eternal plan. It may be the thing that runs amok. It makes it impossible, ultimately, for Christ to return to this planet. It may be the thing that destroys any hope for the consummation of the kingdom of God, leaving all those promises of God unfulfilled. Right? Getting all wound up. But there are no maverick molecules in a universe where God is sovereign. Christian, find rest in his control, not your attempts at control. final reason, do not be anxious because your father is giving you a kingdom. Verse 31. Jesus says, instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Jesus broadens our perspective of what's going on behind the scenes in our lives and in our world. And he's saying, there's a God who has a kingdom and it's coming. It started in my son And it will be brought to fruition soon. And it's yours. Our father who knows our needs and loves us is giving us all the blessings of his kingdom through his son. And so if we seek God, if we seek his kingdom, our everyday needs will be added to us. God will give us what we need. And we will fill our hearts and minds with what is truly lasting and truly necessary. And guess what? We don't just seek this kingdom. He gives it to us. How amazing is that? Verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus' disciples are evidently fearful. I think at this point the, the commentators point out. I think they're especially worried about persecution. Remember, I think it was two weeks ago when Jesus said, "You know, you're going to be dra- you're going to be dragged in front of people and persecuted, right?" And he said, "Do not be anxious. I will give you words to say." But at the same time, I'm wondering, well, what about the beating I'm about to get? Am I not allowed to be anxious about that either? Jesus' and the disciples are fearful. What's to come? But Jesus says they should not fear. Why? Because God is pleased to give them his kingdom. And I love how Jesus calls them his little flock. We sang about and read about Jesus as shepherd before, right? That title, little flock, I think it reveals two things. It reveals our hearts, sheep, prone to wander, prone to fear, prone to anxiety. And it reveals his heart, compassion, the heart of a shepherd, Protecting, providing, guiding, correcting. Jesus is our faithful shepherd. But get this. Jesus knows what it feels like to be tempted to sinful anxiety. He's entered into it for us. Think about it. If anyone has experienced temptation to anxiety, it was Jesus. Consider all the opposition he faced. All the discomfort. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Consider the rejection he encountered, even from friends. Think about the ways he was misunderstood by the religious leaders. Think about the ways he was endangered. One one time, remember, led to the edge of a cliff, only to walk away unharmed. Even now in Luke's gospel, this kind of narrative that we're in right now has all kind of been been, been launched by the passage we saw back in verse 9, where he has set his face for Jerusalem, where he knows he's going to take the full weight of sinful humanity on the cross and be judged by the hand of his Father. And he knows he's going to be forsaken, and it's coming soon. And he's going to be forsaken by the one with whom he's shared eternal joy. I mean, Jesus' life was a minefield of temptations to sinful anxiety. And it all came to a head, it all led up to that fateful night at the Garden of Gethsemane. Where he literally sweat, his sweat became like great drops of blood, Luke writes. Falling to the ground as he pled for help. He was in agony. And yet he never sinned and gave in to sinful anxiety. Why? Because he trusted his father. And that's what he said in that dark garden. He said, Father, my father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus never gave in. Instead, he gave up his life into the hands of his father. And he did this so our unbelief, our sinful anxiety, our idolatry, all the judgment we deserved, every one of us for our sin would be placed on him. So, friend, even today, if you will repent of your sin and place your faith in Christ, you will be saved. You will be forgiven and brought into the family of God. And church family, Jesus ends this passage by saying, seek the kingdom of God. Place your faith in him. And if you think about it, this is the greatest antidote to our anxiety. What, what an incredible balm to our anxiety it would be if we invested our lives and found our security in something that Jesus has said is unshakable in a kingdom that Hebrews says will never be shaken, never be moved. I mean, what peace can that afford? So how do we seek the kingdom? Well, I think just be simple at first and seek the king. Right? Put God before your eyes. Maybe that's first thing in the morning. Maybe that's, you know, depending on your job, listening to to Scripture being read throughout your day. Maybe it's closing in the evening, reading the Psalms. Fill your gaze with God. Seek the King. But there at the end of the passage, Jesus goes back to one theme that he's hit on several times in the past few verses. And that's the theme of wealth. And encourages us to live and give like we're citizens, not of this world, but of the kingdom of heaven. Look at verse 33. He says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Church, we seek the kingdom of God and combat our anxiety by investing in eternal things. Anxiety clings to what we have here. Trust lets it go for something far greater. So as Christians, our trust in God, our seeking his kingdom, must show itself, at least in one way, in our generosity. Unlike the rich fool we saw last week, we are to put our security in wealth that never fades away, never fails. And that eternal perspective will starve anxiety. We started out by thinking of all the what ifs in our lives. What if we run out of money? What if we get sick? What if things go wrong? What if, what if, what if? Christian, consider another what if as we close. What if you have a father who knows exactly what you need and promises to provide? What if you have a father who owns a kingdom that's going to last forever? What if he welcomes you into that kingdom through his son? And what if That's not ultimately in your control or due to your merit, but due to his sovereign grace. What if that's true? Let's pray. Lord, we have come this afternoon now as different Christians with different weeks, different stresses, different concerns. And Lord, you're telling us not to necessarily just be laissez-faire and whatever happens, happens. Lord, you teach us to be diligent, to be concerned, to be responsible, to be urgently active in the things you've given us to do. You tell us to be disciplined. But Lord, ultimately, we confess that our anxiety turns beyond those things into a fear-driven control that you, our Father, do not know best and that we need to take it from here. And so imprint on our minds today by your Holy Spirit the truths from this text in Luke and help us to look different from those around us because our minds are set on eternal things. And when we fail, which we will, help us to remember the Savior who resisted every single temptation to sinful anxiety all the way to the climax of that temptation, and who even went to the cross for us. Thank you that in Christ we can look to you now as our Father, our faithful Father. All we have needed, your hand will provide. Amen. Let's stand and sing.